preachers can fall into a rut of preaching on whatever keeps their congregation pleased. Keep them happy from Sunday to Sunday and they'll keep coming back, something like that. This series is different. Instead of falling back to the familiar narratives that keep us smiling on our way out of church, we are confronting some of the greatest controversies that face Christianity. There is a better than good chance that I will say something from this pulpit during the series that you won't agree with. And if and when that happens, I encourage you to stay after worship. Join us for lunch in our social hall. Continue the conversation. We can only grow as Christians in community, and that requires some humility, some honesty, and dialogue. Today we continue our series with the death penalty. For mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Would you all please pray for me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. He was sitting with his friends when the police rushed in. Everything moved in a blur while the tables were overturned, bodies were thrown onto the floor, and he was placed under arrest. The journey to jail and the courthouse was strangely quiet, but he kept his head down and he kept his mouth shut. Others came and went. He received strange, knowing looks, and he wondered if any of his friends were arrested as well. When they dragged him in front of the judge, the courtroom was packed and people kept screaming from the back. The judge waited for everyone to calm down, and the whole proceeding came down to one question. Did you do it? The man replied, if I tell you what happened, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. Again, the judge asked, did you do it? The man said, well, you say that I did. In response, the judge smacked his gravel onto the wood and declared, What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. And with that, the man was condemned to die. Meanwhile, the courtroom erupted into celebration as the gathered people shouted, Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! What made everything worse was the fact that the now dead man walking recognized some of the people who were shouting for his death. But nothing could stop it now. Time passed, and eventually he found himself walking to his own demise, walking down death row. With every footstep, he thought about what had led to this. He thought about his friends and family that had abandoned him here at the end. They thought about how this would be the last time he ever felt the ground beneath his feet. The executioners were ready to begin the moment he arrived. They took off his clothes. They laid him down. Only then did he notice that two other men were about to be executed as well. Their faces held grave expressions of fear, of guilt, of sorrow. But just like with the man, they were on a path that only had one outcome. The end. It was about noon when everything started moving very quickly, and the man noticed that it was strangely turning dark outside. They strapped him down until he could barely breathe, and then they stood back and they waited. 
With each passing moment, he felt his life slipping away. His chest heaved for air that ceased to fill his lungs. His vision went blurry. And then, he died. His name was Jesus. And he was executed by the state. Capital punishment, killing someone in response to a crime, is as old as civilization itself. Some of the earliest archaeological discoveries that we have are of law codes that contain the ramification for shedding blood or taking someone's life. And more often than not, it comes down to this. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a limb for a limb, and a life for a life. It's there in Hammurabi's code from ancient Babylon, and we have it in the Old Testament in our Bibles. The death penalty has been wrong, along for a very, 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 very long time. And we still employ it here for a number of reasons. To kill someone for committing a crime is the only way to guarantee they won't ever do it again. It works and functions as a deterrence to influence others from committing that kind of it helps bring closure to a family who is grieving the loss of someone who was murdered. And it saves the state a whole lot of money from having to keep someone in prison year after year after year. In the United States, there are roughly 3,000 people right now on death row. And the death penalty still takes place primarily through lethal injections. A poison is injected into someone's bloodstream that brings about a quick and a painless death. But many states, including Virginia, still let you, people choose between the electric chair and lethal injection. The state of Washington, on the other side of our country, still uses a noose to kill people who have been convicted. Across our country, at least 56% of people support the death penalty. And here, here in our state of Virginia, we've executed more prisoners than any State. The question is, why are we talking about this in church? Why do we need to confront the death penalty? What does it mean for us as Christians? Well, we're talking about it because Jesus was killed by the death penalty. The main reasons that people often cite to justify the death penalty can just as easily be argued from a different perspective. The death penalty often fails to work as a deterrence because in the South, where we live, that's where 80% of all death penalty convictions occur, and it's the only part of our country where crime is still increasing. The closure that families often feel in the short term is real, but the long term, they feel more guilty and experience more depression in response to somebody else's life being taken. In terms of economics, it actually costs the state a whole lot more money to put someone to death because of all the required appeals, processes, and the amount of time and resources that it necessitates. And, this is a very important and, since 1976, about one in every nine death row inmates have been exonerated. One out of every nine, usually after spending decades in jail. One out of every nine. But all the statistics and all the facts, all the psychology and the economics, are dwarfed by the fact that Christians still support the death penalty. It was even when the Lord we worship here was killed by the same means. We Christians love our cross. 
We put them up in our sanctuaries and in our living rooms. We tattoo them on our skin and we wear them around our necks. I even carried this one over my shoulder all throughout the city of Stanton every Good Friday. But we have become desensitized to what the cross really means. Death. Well, let me put it this way. If Jesus died a hundred years ago, we wouldn't be wearing crosses. We'd be wearing nooses around our neck. If Jesus died 50 years ago, we'd be bowing down before an electric chair in worship and not some big cross. If Jesus died today, we'd hang up hypodermic needles in our living rooms and not crosses. The cross was the electric chair for the Romans. The cross is like the hangman nooses of lynching mobs. The cross is like lethal injection in modern prisons. It is the way people were killed by the state for their crime. The fact that one out of every nine death row inmates have been exonerated should give us enough to be paused. The fact that the state has murdered innocent people just like Jesus was murdered should give the church reason to repent. But if that's not enough, then hopefully this is. With God, nothing is impossible. I'll admit, there are verses in the Old Testament that justify the practice of capital punishment. There are also people in the Old and the New Testament who committed capital crimes, and God still used them for the kingdom. We like to think about Moses. Moses encountering the burning bush. Moses leading God's people to the promised land. But what we don't like to think about is that Moses murdered an Egyptian in cold blood before he met God in the wilderness. We like to think about David. David approaching Goliath from the battlefield. David dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. But what we don't like to think about is the fact that David ordered one of his soldiers to die just so he could sleep with his wife. We like to think about Paul. Paul being knocked to the ground by God on the road to Damascus. Paul writing letters to churches by candlelight. But what we don't like to think about is the fact that Paul murdered countless Christians before his conversion. <coughs> With God, nothing is impossible. That right there is the beginning and the end of all theology. That with God's help and grace, all things are possible. An alcoholic can kick the drink. An atheist can discover faith in a sinner to receive forgiveness. So why then do we keep slinging out our nooses? Why do we keep sending people to the electric chair? Why do we keep strapping them down for a lethal injection? Why do we keep hanging people on our crosses? The message of Jesus' ministry of the cross is mercy. Mercy for an adulterous woman who was about to be stoned by the crowd. Mercy for a short tax collector who prayed on the poor. Mercy for a criminal who hung on a cross right next to him. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That doesn't mean that people who commit horrendous crimes get to walk away without consequences. It doesn't mean that we should break down the walls of our prisons and let people run free. But it does require us to think reshape our imagination about what the justice system should look like. For centuries, the death penalty was something that took place in public. Crosses on a hill, nooses in a tree. The state used the death penalty to publicly frighten potential <coughs> criminals from committing the same crime. But now, 
Capital punishment takes place in hidden rooms with minimal witnesses. It is retreated so far from the public arena that we can continue to live our lives without ever being disrupted by the fact that someone's being killed. But people are being murdered for murder. Jesus once said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, offer them the other also. To retaliate murder for murder will only ever beget more violence. Or as Martin Luther King Jr. said, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. God sent his son into the world to transform the world, not with the ways of the world, not with power and prestige and armies and aggression, but with mercy and sacrifice. God sent God's Son to walk among us in order that we might catch glimpses of what this kingdom is supposed to look like. God, in Christ, ministered to the last, the least, and the lost, the very people today who are waiting for the end of their days on death row. And God sent His Son to carry death on His back to the top of a hill to die that we might live. So long as we employ the death penalty, we will deny the power of God to redeem, restore, and transform all people. As long as we sling our nooses and prepare our needles, we will prevent true repentance and new life from taking place in those who have fallen prey to evil. As long as we murder murderers, we will never give God the chance to make the impossible possible. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now.